Good morning. Uh, welcome to the 1 to 10 podcast with 110 Associates. Um, the premise behind this podcast has been to engage with figures within the fund industry and get some insight into their journeys, their experiences and their lessons learned. Uh, the aim behind it was to create a forum for people to share their insights, their war stories, and hopefully create a bit of a discussion point amongst listeners. Um, so far, if you have been listening, we've been very much focused on speaking with people uh, within the CFO and COO community. Um, I'm delighted to announce today we are actually taking a slightly different path um, and aiming to discuss an area which is very topical uh, currently. Uh, so welcome to the episode focused on uh, ESG. Um, and I am delighted to welcome today's guest, Dr. Pamela Walker. Um, she is a, a leading healthcare investment value creation and strategy expert. Uh, Dr. Pamela is very well known on both sides of the pond um, and has been an active speaker in all aspects around healthcare investing, um, including uh, the topic of ESG. So Pamela, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, how are you? I'm well, thank you, Coram. It's lovely to be chatting with you. Thank you very much for your time. Much appreciated. Um, so um, Pamela, I, I guess the way we always kick things off, um, we've got, I know, a, a few things that we, you you are going to uh, kind of share your thoughts and insights on today, but usually it's nice to get a bit of a background to, to the speaker. Um, so if you don't mind, I'll, I'll pass over to you just to explain a bit about your own personal journey, um, a bit of a kind of, I, I guess, career summary to date, as it were. Sure. Well, so I have a PhD in medical sciences from Oxford from about 20 years ago now. Um, and then I worked in clinical trials for a number of years after that, before moving into strategy and management consultancy and acquisition advisory. Um, and I have to say, I've had a really incredible career. I feel really fortunate. It's been pretty much exclusively focused on life sciences and med tech mm -hmm. over the past 20 years. Um, and I've seen a lot of really interesting dynamics and obviously the rise of ESG, which we're gonna talk about today. But what I've also really loved working in this sphere is traveling all over the world and working on the same drug in many different countries and understanding how cultural nuances and different markets shape how businesses work and how they succeed and, and sometimes how they fail. Um, so that's been fascinating. And then I went back to Oxford for my executive MBA roughly five years ago now. And I was able to really deep dive into the finance side of things, which was really fascinating for me to kind of add that complementary skill set to my expertise in business, building, running, and growing. And then I joined Gate One mm -hmm. uh, two years ago, or just under two years ago, to head up their life sciences division and also MA capability. And the other really unique part of my job is that I lead our internal incubator and investment channel, because really the philosophy is that to be an excellent consultant, you do really need all the skills of an entrepreneur and what better way to do that than building your own startup business. So I have a very varied uh, career uh, that I really enjoy um, and certainly um, excited to talk to you about ESG because I have perspectives on that in the life sciences space as well. Right. So thank you, Pamela. So obviously, clearly wearing multiple hats at the moment. Um, if I, and I appreciate you've touched upon this already somewhat, but if I could just ask, you know, talk us through your passion and, you know, why you enjoy what you do at Gate One Consulting. Well, um, I, I really love what I do, especially because I get to work with pharma and medtech teams and leaders across the globe, helping them with their toughest challenges. 
and really working with them to create meaningful change in their organizations. Mm -hmm. And I think what we've seen over the past few years with COVID is that there's been a lot of change and shifting mindset, specifically in pharma, the teams themselves, also the, the public perception of pharma. So it's been a really fascinating time to be working in this space. And as I mentioned, I head up our M&A capability. So there's been a lot of really interesting M&A activity. We've worked on some exciting projects in this space recently. So it's been, an, it's been a really exciting time. There's constant innovation, and there's now a mindset that's open to innovation in the pharma and med tech landscape, which is great to be part of it. So it's quite a unique opportunity. Yeah. Brilliant. And just to, just to go off topic slightly, but you, you obviously mentioned the last couple of years with COVID and so on. Do, do you feel that that you, you, you undoubtedly seen a, a natural increase in um, appetite for investing in, in this sector? Oh, gosh, that's a really big question. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, so interesting because I've worked in healthcare for yeah. 20 years. There's been other downturns and other interesting global uh, triggers of changes to markets and the economies. And what I would say is that healthcare is very, very stable. Um, and it's also a sector that really responds to public related healthcare needs very well, very cohesively and collectively. It can mobilize a lot of partners really quickly. Um, so that's been really interesting. I've seen on, on sort of a separate note, a lot of later stage investment into private markets and life sciences and med tech. Um, there's obviously been some interesting consolidation and changes in terms of the large pharma and the public markets, but mm -hmm. there's a lot of opportunity and there's a lot of innovation. So it's going to be exciting to see what comes about over the next five years. Brilliant. Okay. Good stuff. So with that, then let's obviously we've, we've, we've kind of discussed your, your, your background, your rise to position as, as partner at Gate One, your clear passion for, for what you do and, 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 and why you enjoy what you do. Um, I'm also aware that you advise some of the world's most influential pharma and, and med tech players. Um, if we go on to the, the the kind of key point of today's talk, where does ESG fit into the equation with within your industry? Mm. It's a really good it's a really good and a really important question, Karam. Um, and I think these leaders have had a lot to contend with over the past decade. It's mm -hmm. obviously no secret that pharma has historically scored quite poorly on ESG ratings. Um, there have been a number of scandals and lawsuits and pricing controversies. And it's really done some serious reputational damage across all three ESG dimensions. Mm -hmm. So I think they've had a lot to contend with. Um, that said, as we were just discussing, you know, pharma and medtech took a leading role for us through COVID. They accelerated vaccination, <coughs> They innovated around testing technologies and also even, you know, simple apps to enable us to travel, to consolidate data. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of innovation um, and the ecosystem pulling together. I guess the question, you know, that you're asking is where do we stand now? Um, I think ESG is very much now front of mind on the, mm -hmm. the leadership agenda, but I think this is very recently so. So that means as a result, it hasn't quite cascaded down through organizations quite yet. And there's right. a lot to do. Um, 
But, you know, things are shifting in the right direction. It's a really hot topic. It's an important topic. And certainly over the next three years, we're going to see transformation for these organizations. They're developing and operationalizing ESG strategies. So we'll see some change. So if I could ask something which is slightly off, off, off the topic that we, we kind of previously discussed, but in turn, what in your view, given that obviously ESG is very much a buzzword and it's very much in vogue at the moment, right, across the investment industry or, or all industries in general, but in your mind, is, is it kind of reaching that kind of top of the agenda status because it's a hot topic or do you feel actually as an industry lessons have been learned um, from, from kind of what we've been through and, and, and therefore we are now accepting the importance of, of, of ESG as, as a theme? I think that's a really interesting question. I think when we look at um, healthcare, oftentimes we're comparing consumer healthcare businesses that are much more consumer focused to pharma. These are actually very, very different businesses. And I would say, you know, we've seen like Unilever has done really well in terms of sharing its ESG strategy, addressing ESG dimensions. Um, addressing packaging. They're doing a lot of really innovative things. I, I don't think they're doing it only because it's a buzzword. I think there has been over the past five years, an incredible consumer pull. So on non sort of life-saving, life-critical issues, consumers are demanding more sustainable packaging, mm -hmm. um, more effective social programs, better uh, corporate governance. There's a lot of consumer pull in these larger consumer health organizations or you know, broader consumer organizations. I think on the pharma side, where it's highly regulated and the, the treatments are expensive, they're addressing a specific need and it's more of a B to B to C model. Decisions are still being made around safety and efficacy in terms of usage. There isn't this pull from the consumers to have sustainable blister packs for you know, cancer treatments. They're just you know, desperate to have the most effective treatment. That said, I think, you know, and COVID again is another really interesting example, that gap between the consumer and pharma is closing. And there is a lot of interest from the consumers to see ESG built into all the corporations that they interact with. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's closing, but I'd say actually the reason why I think it's most on the pharma leaders agenda is more pressure from investors and shareholders. Okay. I think they play the really key part in this equation um, in a couple of ways. Obviously, they have across their investment portfolios a focus on ESG for a variety of reasons, mm -hmm. um, but in, including increasingly, there is a growing body of evidence that ESG matters, drives performance, drives retention, drives recruitment. I mean, it's kind of the beating heart of a business that can drive financial performance. So it's important to investors and to shareholders. And so I think it's the pull from them at the moment, rather than a specific consumer pull, like we see in the consumer space. I mean, Diageo has done something fantastic with its bottles that to make them more sustainable that certainly we could adopt in pharma, but there right. isn't yet that same pull, if that makes sense. It's been, yeah. a, sorry, that's a long-winded answer, no, but, no, no, it's, but it's different dynamics. Really, really insightful. And, and, and I think you've touched upon something that, you know, extends beyond just healthcare, medtech and pharma, right? In that, uh, in, in a lot of instances, this is being driven by investors, 
um, or, or shareholders, as, as, as you said. Um, so in terms of, you know, you, you mentioned that ESG is working its way into the leadership agenda. Um, from your perspective, what do you think are the key elements to make this front and center? And uh, to your point, to use your phrase earlier, allow it to cascade uh, beyond just the uh, you know the leadership agenda. So I think there there is a need for um, a feasible ESG strategy that can be properly operationalized. So in some of the early movers in this space, we did see some targets that maybe were exciting from a PR standpoint and and certainly ambitious. But I think as we're learning more and more about how to implement. ESG strategies, we're realizing that it's actually really important to be realistic because you'll create more impact that way. So I've seen a number of pharma companies revisit some of those targets to make them more meaningful and more able to operationalize. Um, and, and like any other large corporation, it's it's multifaceted. So you you have, you know, on the finance side, you have ESG reporting that's increasingly important. So mm -hmm. that needs to be built in on that side. You then have the sort of the corporate operational component where that needs to be built into every work stream. And then you need to look at, you know, your supply chain and your distribution um, and and, and your retailers, if there are retailers. So it's, it's quite wide reaching, um, hence having realistic targets and, and a team that can address all of those different elements is really critical. Brilliant, okay. And, and I, I guess with that, um, Pamela, to, to kind of just take a step, maybe align it more to kind of my world, if, if anything. Um, you, you mentioned the importance of the team. How important is, is it for the likes of the CFO or the COO to buy in or, or help to drive the overall strategy? In, in I, think it, I, I, <laughs> I think it's really critical. I mean, I think, as I mentioned, there will be ESG reporting, if not already. Mm -hmm. I know that these um, reporting frameworks or reporting guidance is still quite nascent and I imagine it will change. And I also think for a given organization, there's there's going to be nuance. And also in terms of negotiating with the, the shareholders and or investors in terms of the kind of ESG reporting they need. So I think the CFO is absolutely core in that space. Hmm. And then in terms of the, the COO, it's really that operationalization across all the different channels and, and work streams. Um, and, and certainly a component of organizational change. So, I mean, I, I work in, in management consultancy and, and organizational change is, is a buzz term, <laughs> um, but it is really, really important when you make a change that's different to someone's day job, it needs to be meaningful and motivating and you need to see results and you need to see impact and follow through for people to continuously adopt it for an organization overall to see the outcomes and the impact. Mm -hmm. So the COO plays a critical role in that. And, and from your perspective in terms of, and, and you appreciate a lot of this will be sensitive information, but in the work that you've been doing in the, part, in the past kind of couple of years at, at Gate One, how have you, what's your view on the take up of such policies or are clients genuinely kind of, you know, happy to drive this or is it, is it, is it still an area where people like yourself are going in and really advising to help set the foundations and the framework for um, ESG to be part of their company infrastructure? 
I think, you know, it's both ways. And I think we're all still learning together. Mm-hmm. Um, and as, as I mentioned, even around the ESG reporting, this is still very nascent in terms of what we're actually doing with it. And I think every industry is is different as well. So I think we're, we're on a journey together. I think it's really useful to have to bring in external consultants when you're looking mm-hmm. at ESG, because they'll know how to evaluate what other companies in the same situation as you have done. So they're able to, to benchmark, inspire, have examples, encourage. Mm-hmm. I think also look at things in a more objective way and also be able to look at, you know, might be there's tweaks to your target operating model you have to do to embed this, or maybe you do really need to look at your packaging, or maybe there's like a specific market where you have a specific issue that you have to address. So it's really nice to have that external, more objective lens. Um, but it's, it's certainly something that, that we're all working on, but we can always get better by asking external experts. No, absolutely. Um, and, and hopefully it's kind of genuine uh, uh, questions that you're being asked rather than, hey, uh, what's so-and-so done? Uh, we, <laughs> we need to replicate that. Um, but it's useful for me to know what so-and-so has done. No, I think yeah, it's like I yeah. said, you know, you set really ambitious targets, but what has actually been achieved? And given this is such a nascent space, we're mm. all kind of just learning what's actually been achieved, you know, because we haven't had lots of time yet. So in a way, we kind of do need to work together as an industry on this. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I guess we've, we've talked through a bit of the background to what's, you know, what's led us to where we are now um, within kind of the sectors that you focus on. Um, we've, we've discussed what the current kind of state of play is. Um, in terms of going forward then, Pamela, I guess what would your advice be to companies looking to um, I guess, implement or embrace ESG into the healthcare and VC space. And, and, and maybe after that, maybe we can touch upon your advice to, uh, I guess, people or candidates um, on how they can prepare or upskill for the changes that ESG will bring. I, I think it's actually, um, like I said, we're all learning together. So it's actually probably, I guess I'd have the same advice, maybe in different orders. Okay. So starting with companies, um, and, and we have a whole sustainability practice at Gate One that really looks into this and benchmarks all the businesses. But I know one of the great resources they use is the Science-Based Targets website. And I don't know, Quorum, you've had a look at this, but they have fascinating case studies on there. So you can see lots of different corporations and lots of different industries, their strategies um, and how they're working along their path to reduce admission, emissions in line with Paris Agreement goals. So that's an objective global website that's super useful that companies can go and benchmark themselves, whether it's about other companies in their market or in their sector or in an adjacent space they're looking to go into. But being able to do your own research as a company and benchmark yourself, that resource is fantastic. I think the other thing that we also use when we're we're benchmarking is looking at the company's websites. You know, a lot of them are reporting ESG annually. Um, They're sharing their ESG strategies, some more than others, depending on how mature their strategies are, but there's a lot of publicly available information. And it's a great way to really understand what your competitors are doing in that space. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, a lot of the 
unlike a product strategy or brand strategy, your ESG strategy doesn't need to be better or differentiated from your competition. So it's actually a really lovely collaboration that can happen in the sector, learning from each other. Mm. Um, And I think that just makes the whole case for ESG stronger. So yeah, so, so the publicly available information from the ESG annual reports and annual reports in general, I'm seeing a lot of them having a section on ESG. Not not everyone has it, but I'm, I'm seeing a lot of that. And then I guess, um, you know, from a VC standpoint, I mentioned ESG reporting. There's a lot of interesting um, global funds or fund of funds that have impact frameworks or ESG reporting frameworks. There's nothing that I've seen that is really standardized or validated yet, but there's a lot of inspiration. So it's useful to just be aware of the topics that people are looking at, considering, evaluating um, to kind of bring yourself up to speed. So I guess as a candidate, I mean, first I would look at that company's Mm -hmm. website and see any, I guess, press or communications as well around the topic. Um, And then have a look on science-based targets. If that company isn't on there, certainly looking at adjacent companies, competitors, companies in those markets would be really useful. Mm -hmm. And then it's it's nascent, it's collaborative. I think bringing ideas and a fresh perspective is still really welcome. But for a candidate, I'd recommend just being open and aware to the situation like we've been discussing for the past half hour in this space. Yeah. Yep. And, and would you also say, I, I guess, given that the framework is not currently standardized and there's no um, manual, shall we say, for, you know, one, one size doesn't fit all, right? So from a candidate's perspective, based on what you've said, would it be fair to say that by going into, you know, whether it's the company website or public records, you're currently getting quite a good insight into the values or thoughts of that specific firm on ESG. So you, you can almost align yourself to companies that are looking at things in a similar way to, to yourself. Absolutely. It gives you really great insight. And I think it also gives you ideas that you can bring to the table when you're interviewing for another company. So Mm -hmm. I think you don't necessarily need to have a cookie cutter response. It's about awareness and creativity and and sort of mental agility and flexibility around the topic because it's an evolving space. Yep. Brilliant. Look, Pamela, it's been really grateful for firstly taking time out of your busy schedule. Secondly, kind of spending time with me today just to go through some of your thoughts and and ideas on this area. Um, And hopefully, no doubt, people listening in will will, will have really enjoyed your insights. Um, Thank you so much for your time. Well, it's been a great pleasure, Coram. Thank you.